Hi, this is Tim Dodge, the host of The Geek Side of Life at thegeeksideoflife.com, and you're listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, Lexiconosaurs and Word Chefs, it's AF Grappin, and we're here with another Balticon bonus episode, so I'm not going to say a whole lot. Here's the panel. Intelligently so. We've got Katie. Do we have Russ? Russ? Do we have uh, William, because you were the first one here? Yep. Yes, ma'am. And we've got Josh. All of us are here. Awesome. Who's moderating this shindig? I am. Hooray! That's why I said at the end here, and I was calculating, where can I do the best gotcha, moderator gotcha. gigs? Right, may I borrow this to read the intro? Because I left mine at the table. And we have one more minute. That is a nice big audience. Because you're all horrible people. We're not yet, we want to be. It's okay, I gotcha. I gotcha that. Yes. Ben. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, sure, this is actually August's mic. Oh, okay. That's yours. Yeah. All right. So, is everyone in the panel all right with being recorded? Sure. Okay. Um, everyone in the audience okay? Being recorded? Okay. Make them all together All right. New person who comes in, are you all right with being recorded? Yes. Okay. Get stereo. Excellent. I'll come up front so you can hear me. It's 11. Better. Should we like break trend and actually start on time? Wow. What do you guys think? Wow. wow. Awesome. Hi, everybody. Welcome to How to Intelligently Do Horrible Things to Your Characters. Um, you're all wonderful people, which is why we do our horrible things to our characters. So it's good to meet you all. And I'm going to start off by um, introducing our panel. And also, since we're recording, uh, are you guys okay being recorded who just came in? Okay. All right. So do you want to start down, Josh? Okay. We'll work way back. Uh, my name is Joshua Palmatier. I have uh, six books uh, published by DAW. Uh, the most recent one's called uh, Shattering the Lay. Uh, it's out in hardcover right now. Okay, and I also edit anthologies. Um, the most recent one of that is uh, Clockwork Universe Steampunk uh, versus Aliens. Okay, and uh, we have a booth down in the dealer's room. So if you want to check out any of my books or any of the anthologies I've edited, uh, stop by the table. William Glenny, uh, self-published author. Uh, wrote two books so far. Second one comes out in November. Uh, one called The Line got pretty good reviews, but because it's self-published, no real sales. Uh, that's really all I've got. Right? I'm Russ Colchimiro. I'm an author with Crazy 8 Press. I do a couple different series. I've got uh, Crossline, which is a lot of uh, action adventure, and then I do sci-fi comedy, uh, Finders Keepers, and the sequel, which just came out a few weeks ago, Genius the Milo. I'm Katie Brisky. I'm a Canadian author, podcaster, and playwright. I have short stories in various places on the internet and in this fine book right here. Um, my novel, Heart Sealer, is coming out this fall, most likely. And I have an audio drama dropping in July. So, yeah. Everything right after Balticon. <laughs> that is a nice cover, I have to Thank say. Thank you, it's very pretty. Starla Hutchton. I need a ding. 
Uh, my name is Trisha Wildrich. Uh, I'm moderating this fine, evil panel. Um, I am, as my child-friendly persona, which still does horrible things, I am TJ Wildrich. Um, and as my horror author persona, I'm Trisha J. Wildrich. I'm also currently, for at least the next week, president of Broad Universe, which is an organization that promotes women in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. I also am a senior editor at, <coughs> excuse me, Spencer Hill Press, who was just acquired and now has a New York address. Um, but I've also done some independent stuff, so I, I'm what they call a hybrid author. <laughs> um, so, the panel description is how to intelligently do horrible things to your characters. Every character does not have an idyllic past, nor is their journey through a story always smooth. How do you decide which of the wide range of awful things happen to your character and how to treat the traumatic events appropriately, but not water down the impact of the events on your characters and story? Um, what I like, I've been on similar panels to this, and what I really like, thank you very much, about the decision is the how to intelligently do horrible things to your character. And that's what really drew me to this panel. Um, so I'm going to do one more since there's more people. Are you all okay with being recorded? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good enough. Calm down. All right. Um, uh, because... We're talking about horrible things. I do want to say we may venture into what may be trigger areas for anyone. Um, so if someone has to leave, that is perfectly okay. I'll try to keep it so that we're not getting too, into too many difficult topics on here. Um, but dealing with them in an intelligent and respectful manner is something that I'm going to try to do. So, and, and if I see anything venturing not into, into a disrespectful area, I will cut you off just to let you all know that. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to start off with is what are, how would you guys define, um, how do you intelligently torture your characters? Um, um, I guess so. I guess when you're talking about doing it intelligently, it's doing it for a purpose. So it's not just for shock value. It's not just because I want to be edgy, so I'm going to throw in alcoholism. I'm going to throw in a gratuitous violent or um, like mm -hmm. rape scene. It's doing it in the service of the story and I think respecting your characters as well. So I'm not mm -hmm. just throwing at it. It has a point and purpose and it's arising out of the character and their circumstances. Mm -hmm. Not just throwing it in because I want to shock all of the readers. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, there's sort of different ways to, when you talk about doing things that are horrible. You know, first and foremost, you think, well, you, I could do something physically terrible to someone because it's most obvious, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the most horrible thing that you could do to someone. Mm -hmm. You know, you could put your characters in precarious situations, mm -hmm. you can steal them away from loved ones, you can mm -hmm. dangle the thing that they want the most so close that they can touch it and taste it and then it's gone from them and then, mm -hmm. and you could sort of yo-yo them back and forth to that degree. Um, I think ultimately, I mean, part of what you're saying, I absolutely agree mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're just looking for a shock value and sometimes on one-offs, it may actually serve your overall story to do something mm -hmm. shocking. But if you're, I would think that if you want the audience to stick with you, if you want your readers to stick with you, if you're just doing things to shock them, how many times can you actually shock them to the point where they just go, you know what, all right, I get it. Boo, ow, you know, boogeyman, whatever. And they go, all right, there has to be something underneath it. So unless there's some real, a real fabric, uh, a through line for why you're doing what you're doing, you're going to lose some impact. And I like to start from a place of either, A, I know the character, 
and I know where I want to take this character and to get them to grow or change or challenge them, I'm going to have to sort of put them in sort of an extreme circumstance. That's one thing. And there are other cases where the sort of the sometimes the more shocking moment is where I start. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of, you know, part of my style is I'm a sort of an intuitive writer. Sort of, and some of it is I plot, and some of it is I just kind of, I kind of go, I start with a moment and I let it, and I trust that I will find it. And if it turns out that the shocking thing I did no longer serves the story, I get rid of it. So, I, I largely agree with both of what you said. I'm going to reward it in an effort to grandstand. <laughs> uh, go, man. I would say the easy part is actually writing the event, the crime, the rape, the loss of a child, etc. The challenge would be the scaffolding built around it. Any event like that is a singular point of activity. If the whole story pivots on it, that's one thing. But if it's just one bump in a road, then you really are... The hard part of the writing is to invest in the character. And anything that happens, uh, fight, intimacy, violence, all three combined, have to progress the character, not just the narrative, but also the character as well, what's their growth. Also, if you can't associate, you can't be anchored into it, the reader's going to know. Like all those movies that came out in the 80s, 90s, where invariably the the wife and child died as a motivating factor Mm -hmm. for some male character. Obviously, the people who wrote all those never really felt serious loss. So make sure that whatever you write, it's a loss you can connect to. And if if you are so fortunate to have not experienced loss or have a loved one who has not lost a child in utero or something truly horrific, go find somebody. Talk to them. Find out what they went through, how they've coped with it decades later. Then you'll be on your way to writing intelligence. Yeah, I was going to emphasize the character aspects of it. Um, But I also want to emphasize that in order to, 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 to torture your characters intelligently mm-hmm. it has to evolve out of the the circumstances you brought up circumstances mm-hmm. um i mean you can't you know if your character's in the slum bad things are going to happen automatically and you can't have something that wouldn't normally happen in a slum happen um unless you know you've got aliens invading the slum or something like that <laughs> circumstances right? that's the thrust of your story but i think i think the biggest thing is any of the any of the things that happen in order for your reader to believe it and in order for your reader and your character to live through it it has to evolve from the circumstances that the character's currently in and and that's just doing the physical kind of torture um the character kind of torture where you're psychologically torturing them or, or emotionally torturing them in some way. Um, I think that one comes down to pure motivation. you got to figure out what your character's motivations are, and the best way to torture them is to, like you said, kind of dangle it there that they can achieve this, and they're really going for it, really working for it, and then some little twist, and the best torture is the itty bitty little twist Mm -hmm. that totally throws them off and totally throws the whole game into a a totally different realm and they they're still motivated they still want that ultimate goal or whatever but their plan on getting that goal has totally changed they have to they have to rethink everything and figure out how to get over their current hurdle and to progress toward whatever their motivation is um and that in my opinion that's the best kind of twist is, is when 
It's some itty bitty little minor thing that totally throws the whole thing off. Just think back to the future, right? They have this mm -hmm. whole elaborate setup and a stupid tree limb falls, right? Yes. And all of the tension comes out of that tree limb falling on the on the mm -hmm. wire. I mean, that, mm -hmm. it's something so simple, but you yes. just totally tortured that character, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a very good point. Is is definitely that situational, and that's what happens in real life for most people. You've got this great plan and then something stupid happens and you're knocked off the path. Um, one of the things I wanted to add, because you guys are all great with your descriptions, um, is, uh, and I think uh, um, you'd mentioned it well, what happens five years later, ten years later, um, with the characters, because one incident isn't going to be recovered that quickly, and also each person deals with trauma in a different way. So um, being aware of the psychology of trauma and the psychology of stress and all of that is another way to actually incorporate that and make it realistic and make it intelligent. Um, and looking, looking at your psychology books, uh, there's a wonderful book out there called um, Psychology for Writers. <laughs> um, and I highly recommend it. I've used it for a lot. And it, also, it deals with... Um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and actual psychological um, uh, issues your characters may have. Because you can also torture your character with, you know, who they are. What's their personality traits? Are they a perfectionist and they just keep undoing their own thing? Um, so, and you had mentioned motivation. Motivation is a very important thing. Will your character's motivation undermine the character's own agenda? And then when you're dealing with um, an antagonist, your bad guy, what's that bad guy's motivation for instilling that particular torture on that character? Um, there needs to be a good reason that that uh, bad guy is choosing that specific type of torture, that particular way of stopping the protagonist. So making your bad guy a believable character, a real person with actual motivations, um, a psychology, and so on. Well, you have to torture important. your bad guy. I was going to yes. say, I torture, yes. honestly, I torture my bad yes. guy as yes. much, if not more, mm -hmm. than my protagonist. Why do you think they're, they've exactly. that has been their response to the grief and the trauma 5, 10, 15 years down the road um, in yep. Heart Stealer? My, my, my antagonist had a really bad childhood. Uh, there was all sorts of horrible things that happened. And so, in response to that, she becomes this very hardened, very bitter, and she's willing to do more and more horrible things to my protagonist because that has been her response to this trauma. Protagonist, very different response to trauma. That's why she's not going around torturing people. Right. Yes. And on the same line, you have to torture your secondary characters. As yes. Well, your main characters as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, I think the best books are the books where every character, even if they only show up for three pages, every character really comes alive. And you, even though they're briefly there, you realize this is what they're trying to do. This is what's stopping them. You know that you know you gotta gotta get that in there. And I think that that's what makes the the best full fledged book in the long run, even short story in the long run. Yeah. If, if, if I may, yes. I just we're talking about. I mean, I know when we, I thought Panel was doing terrible things to your character or whatever it is, and we're using the word torture itself. You know, I mean, you know, so there's just sort of an uh, an implication. You, you automatically go to something, maybe something that's horror or mm -hmm. physically. There's lots of different ways mm -hmm. to do sort of you yeah. know, terrible things. So if I may, I'm going to sort of go off in a little bit of a. So what I do is I do a lot of sci-fi comedy. So what I just want to just, just this is just this is more of a visual to sort of illustrate a point. If I may, I'll I'll hold this up. So 
So it's a back. So I'll give you the <clears throat> quick spit. So my books are based loosely based on a series of backpacking trips that I took through Europe and New Zealand, mm-hmm. set against a quest for a jar that contains the universe's <laughs> DNA. So you got these knuckleheads who are running around Europe, mm-hmm. and their biggest worry is, can I get the hot girl? Can I catch my train yeah. to Amsterdam? I'm hungover again. You know, okay. all the fate of the universe is hanging in the balance, and they're at the center of it. Well, anyway, so here we have. So you've got here's Emma, right? She's a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. She's the designer of the Milky Way galaxy. Right, and this is Lex. This is her number two. Okay. This is her number two. Now she does something, which I will not give away now, to get herself banished to Earth. Now, this is before banishment. This is after. <laughs> this is before banishment. This is after, and they spend a lot of time, very much not wanting to be like this, and very much wanting to be like this. So their motivation, so my way of sort of, you know, torturing them or sort of toying with them is I took away from Emma in particular. She was, she's a very dynamic individual. She's a beautiful woman and she uses that in part to get what she wants. So I took away the thing, the two things that she wanted the most and I took them away from her and I made it virtually impossible for her to get them back except that there's a glimmer of hope that maybe she can. And her motivation throughout these books is to get back everything that she lost. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty key, yeah, too. Is you it is. You've got to have that hope there. You can't torture yeah. and torture and torture it's to the not, point yeah. where they're just broken. Well, broken. And I think yeah. that relates yeah. to another point that just I thought of as I saw those character cards is contrasts. Right, yeah. because um, you're going to feel things more if you're contrasting. Think like a piece of music, right? Uh, very yeah. soft pianissimos are going to make those fortissimos that come in super loud and exciting mm-hmm. even more so. So, and you've got yeah. someone who starts out the way in that first picture, uh, very slim, very beautiful, and then the contrast, or contrasting that little tiny glimmer of hope with all of this darkness around mm-hmm. it, it just increases the effect of both. And you see that in like in movies and in books all mm-hmm. the time, where yeah. you know they they reach their lowest point, and what happens? At that point, something mm-hmm. they take out on some little keepsake that somebody gave them early on in the movie or early on in mm-hmm. the book, right? And that's their glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. and that's what renews them and, yeah. and, if, and yeah. gets them going again, right? And if we want to do really intelligent, horrible things, you give them that little glimmer of hope, and they think that things are maybe on an upswing, and then it just goes down again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite quotes uh, is from the Sandman books, where um, where Dream's trying to have it out with Lucifer, and the, his... Uh, he says the point, well, what would hell be if they couldn't dream of heaven? Right. Uh, it would be totally useless. So that glimmer of hope is very, very important. Um, I was going to ask, what are your favorite research tools for making an intelligent choice for torture and, and you know, making your character's life miserable? My ears. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Well, first of all, I'm really, really bad at research. Um, <laughs> but the way that I write is is I'm totally, I'm almost completely organic writer, which means that I sit down and I just start writing the story. I don't create an outline. I don't, you know, I barely get a plot synopsis to my editor and whatnot ahead of time um, before she buys the books and stuff like that. So I wouldn't say that I do research. Um, what I'm doing is going back to what I said earlier about the circumstances, as I start the scene and I immerse myself in that scene and then I just ask myself, what would realistically happen to this character in that particular scene? So, you know, if my character's in the slums, 
I'm, I sit and I say, well, what is it this, that this character wants? Going back to motivation, you know, and if she's barely surviving in the slums, then she, you know, she's going to be looking for food almost constantly, right? And she's going to be looking for safety and, and uh, all of that. And so I put myself in that circumstance and I try to live in that world and ask myself what would reasonably happen to this particular person. And, um, and, and that's usually how I start. And part of that process, even though I'm in that particular person's um, character at that time, is you have to keep in mind all of the other characters are doing things while this person is living their lives. And that's where the outside source comes in, you know, where the evil guy is doing something and it's going to cause this to happen and that's going to affect this person in the slums. And that, that's how you screw up their lives, essentially. And that, that's the key to any book. I mean, if, if there wasn't something that came along to screw up their life, then they would never change, right? Just, I mean, we do the same thing every day until something forces us to change it and do something different. And, and so I'm, I don't do research so much. Um, I, I will do research after the fact, sort of when something happens where I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know enough about this to effectively write about it. So it's happened. It's organically happened to this character because of their circumstances. But then I say, okay, well, I need to go look some stuff up now and, and make sure that I'm getting this right. Um, but a lot of it starts off with, I'm just saying, if I am this person, if I'm living this character's life, when it comes down to the emotional aspects of the torture, I just say, well, how, how would the... I just ask myself, how would this person reasonably react to this? And And... I mean, that's the creative process part of it. The research for me comes in sort of after the fact. Yep. I kind of go back and check yeah. and make sure that, you know, I didn't do something that's totally off base for that emotionally or, right. you know, realistically. Right. I use research a little bit, at least in what you're talking about, is for example, um, so in Cross Lines, uh, it's a sci fi space adventure. It's like, you know, Flash Gordon meets uh, Escape from New York. There's a, there's a scene where there's a character who, he's in the 50s. And he's dead broke. He's just a gas attendant nowhere. And he stumbles. He's tr searching for oil. He thinks he's going to make it rich. And there's something very key to what happens to this character. But it takes place on, on, a, uh, on a makeshift oil well. Mm -hmm. So the mechanics of what the, the physical structures, how that oil rigging was set up, was critical to what happens physically in this scene. So I did a lot of research, I mean, tons and tons of it, to make sure that I described the way the arm, the mechanical arm can come up and the way the pistons move and the way the drill bores mm -hmm. into the ground and the way the platform sets up. Because if that didn't ring true, and it's not this elaborate, detailed scene, but it had to have a certain sense of authenticity because something critical happens in that setting, and it was reliant upon the foundation of what I had created being real. And I didn't know enough to really... I could probably fake it, but I really wanted to know. And I felt that it added some real texture to the scene. But in terms of, do I need research to do something mean to someone? Well, <laughs> no, but I, I think that the research can help sort of paint, paint the scene really well. Because you could decide, I'm going to do X to my character, whatever that is, okay, that's the action. Is If the setting isn't quite right or if the, if the other components don't quite ring true, you're, you could be off a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I sort of want all those kind of pieces to fit together. But ultimately, the how I'm going to be, where the tension comes from, 
that's kind of that kind of mostly comes just from just builds from the story. Um, yeah, much like you down on the end, I don't set out thinking, well, I'm going to totally make this character's mother an abusive, alcoholic, cancer-stricken woman. Uh, it just kind of happens, and then I'll go back and I'll research things I don't know. Um, it's interesting because yesterday I was on a panel about working with other people's cultures sensitively and appropriately, and in some ways I think this is very similar. If you've got an experience that you've not had, whether it's of loss, whether it's of grief, or mental illness, or physical illness, or rape, or any of that. Um, so I don't want to turn this into the sad KT is sad panel. Suffice to say, I've had, we can tick many of the boxes on that one for me. Um, so I know if someone was going to come to me and say, I need to be able to give this experience sensitively, appropriately, I need to know, dude, I'm happy to talk as much as I can to help get the after effects and what the character is going through after the fact. The action is easy to write. It's what happens in the aftermath that's difficult. And sometimes it's not what you expect either. And there was one point when it was just one more thing. Suffice to say there had been death and loss and all sorts of horrible things. My doctor called me and was like, guess what? You're severely anemic. I said, thank you. I hung up the phone and I just burst out laughing. And sometimes it's experiences like that that you just you don't anticipate, but you need to be able to talk to someone who has gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm a historian by training, so looking at history, there's lots of horrible things in there that you can adapt and use as models, and then still talk to people afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually um, a lot of the places that I've talked to, crisis centers, um, and people who are, are willing to talk with authors and say, well, oh, you're doing this character, all right, and they'll give you uh, some ideas of what would be and would not be appropriate or sensitive, and I've actually... Um, ask some of my friends who work at various crises and just, can you just read this and make sure I'm being respective or respectful? Um, and a lot of people are willing, especially, um, say, yes, please, we want to have more people showing this mm-hmm. sensitively and correctly. Uh, if I may as well, yeah. another good resource for writers in general are actually actors. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking particularly at character motivation and how characters are dealing with things, um, my creative collaborator, who I'll be talking on a panel about at 12 o'clock, come on down. Um, if I hand her a character and she's like, I, I can't play this, I don't understand, that's a sign I need to go back and check things. Yeah. Can I, this is just, it's just a side point. You mm-hmm. mentioned something. It's just, it's just one of my pet peeves about like doing terrible things. For the mm-hmm. longest time, there was one sort of uh, storyline that was kind of taboo in American <clears throat> fiction, and mm-hmm. suddenly that wall's been broken, and that's doing terrible things to children. It's mm-hmm. kidnapping, rapes, and tortures. I'm not saying these things in the real world never happen, mm-hmm. because they do, and maybe it's because I'm a dad now. I have, I have young kids, and if, in fact, you feel that doing something awful involving a child is absolutely necessary for your your thread your story if you feel you need to go that route okay i would suggest for me be as respectful mm-hmm. as possible this is not torture porn and i find that too much mm-hmm. of it is you know mm-hmm. the, what was it that show the following with kevin bacon I'm like mm-hmm. oh this could be cool the first thing is like oh they kidnap a child i'm gone I'm out. I have no interest in this. And that's just me personally. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go in those roads, my just thing is if you're dealing with kids, it's not something to sort of be flipping about. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this, this is a, this is a this is a real thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hypersensitive to it now well, more than yeah. I ever before. But much like know. this cultural sensitive yeah. sensitivity panel, I think we all have our own moral ethical yeah. line. Yeah. And so. I think as authors and as artists, it's also partly our responsibility to know where our own line is. Mm-hmm. For sure. I will say from um, the publishing aspect, uh, working with a publisher, if you do terrible things to children overtly, 
you will be banned and libraries won't carry you, teachers won't carry you, and Amazon will delist you <laughs> if they see anything. So that's another reason to be careful with that because if you want to, it's even if you're doing it respectfully. And it's not just respecting yeah. everybody outside in the real world. I mean, it's just respect your characters. Yes. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, basically you just don't want to do things gratuitously to your characters. Mm. You know, like everybody always says, well, I'm getting bored. You know, the, this story isn't working for me, so I'm going to kill somebody off. And I'm, and whenever they say that, I just cringe because I'm like, no, you can't do that to fix well, your story. That doesn't fix your story. What If mm-hmm. something's fundamentally wrong with your story, you need to go back and figure out what's funnily, fundamentally wrong earlier on in the story. You can't just arbitrarily throw in, you know, a death or, or mm-hmm. some kind of torture for your character at that point, emotional or or not, and expect that to resolve your story. That's not how you fix stories like that. And that's disrespectful to your characters. I mean, you're basically just saying, well, you hear you were living this nice, you know, little life, and sure, it doesn't feel right as I write it, so I'm just going to, you know, kill off your best friend. You're not respecting your character there. But it comes back to motivation. You've got to do, you have to do the thing, the things that happen in the story have to happen for reasons, and not just... The reason can't be because I want my character to feel this. The reason has to be this happened five years earlier and it led to this and it led to this and now this is what's going to happen to my character at this point. Okay. And it, that's just, I don't know, respectful of the characters. Katie? Oh, um, I, yeah, you actually continued on with my oh. point. I was going to say, I think you can also ask, is this in the service of the story or is it in the service of myself Yeah. as an author? Is it to make the story better or is it to make people read me? In a specific way. Mm-hmm. I was also going to add uh, the reason I bring up research because I'm an editor as well. Um, so if there's physical torture, whether they're not necessarily as torture, but your characters are going through something physical, whether it be a <coughs> battle scene and they're getting cut, talk with doctors and nurses and EMTs. Um, the biggest thing that will throw me out of a book is if your character is in a battle or in a fight and they get their ass handed to them and you know half an hour later they're perfectly fine yeah. <laughs> so so do your medical research do your um, research on violence there's another really good book out there um, by Rory Miller um, there's two of them he has uh, one is meditations on violence and he used to work in a prison and looking at how men and women deal with violence and physical fighting and psycho- the psychology of that was really fascinating and very helpful um, how a woman will react to getting into a fist fight versus how a man will react. Um, similar, he had a book that he wrote, Violence for Writers. Um, so that was also very useful as well as as a means of research and going that's into a, it intelligently. That's a, that's a good point. That's a that's yeah. a really good point. I, uh, mm-hmm. A friend of mine's a doctor, and and yeah. when I do, you know, sometimes when something physically, I do something, you know, someone gets beat up or they're in a crash or something, mm-hmm. I say, look, you know, and I ask, you know, well, how much blood does someone lose? What kind of mm-hmm. organ damage? occurs, how long does it take for recovery, what's their cognitive function, yeah. would it make sense that they could be walking in two days or a week or a month or whatever mm-hmm. it is, because you can see, you know, obviously we've seen this, and it's worse in TV, if someone mm-hmm. throws from a truck and they roll down the hill, I mean, reality, they'd be, you know, mm-hmm. disabled for a month, the next day yeah. they're like, wow, my head hurts, and then they go out and get the bad guys again. Yeah, concussions yeah. are very serious, yeah. <laughs> you I, see this all the time, one. someone they're gets bad. sapped on the back of the head, and then yeah. like an hour later they're up and... Yeah. At full fun. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the age old, oh, he got shot in the shoulder. Yeah. And, the, and that doesn't, 
hit anything. Shoulders seem to heal very fast on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they don't result in shock. There's like a magic spot right there. You won't go into shock if you get shot there, right? That's how that works. Some secret spot right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's the shoulder that's hit, not your arm. Come on. My, my favorite one to, to date is from Prometheus. Uh-huh. When, you know, they, she, they slice her open and... Pre- you know, take out the, the alien baby, they sew her up, and then she's, like, running away oh from, like, God. the thing. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow, you heal fast. <laughs> the, but just to extend that idea, I mean, we've been talking about it in terms of, like, wounds and stuff like that, because I hate it when I'm reading a book and, you know, yeah. they get some, they go through this horrible fight, and then a page later, like you say, they're, they're up and running around again. Um, but also you got to keep that in mind with any any emotional mm-hmm. damage yes. that they might have. And that, that really, really ticks me off when I'm reading a story or a book or something where some horrible traumatic thing, not even physical, just horrible traumatic, emotionally traumatic thing happens mm-hmm. to the character. And a page later, they're running around acting like nothing nothing has happened. And one of, one of the, the books I read that I won't name... Um, you know, one of one of the women gets raped in one scene, and then in, in like two days, she's having sex with somebody else. And I'm like, I don't see that happening that fast. And and it totally ruined the whole book. I mean, the rest of the book, everything was fine, but that one little thing that happened totally ruined the whole book for me. And and I mean, you just you just got to be really really careful with wounds and emotional trauma and all of that it takes time to heal everybody mm-hmm. in here knows that from just regular wounds it takes time to heal and it never heals as fast as you want it to yeah <laughs> and everyone heals differently so um i saw your hand shoot up real quick yeah um well i was actually thinking of it beforehand but the everyone heals differently is kind of what i wanted to um address real quick it's just i um I like the whole remembering, like, throughout the whole story that, you know, they will be affected by the traumatic thing. But I've definitely, I definitely know a lot of people who experience traumatic events of all kinds will bounce back and forth between, like, okay, I can be totally fine for, like, a while, and then, like, sudden drop. And I feel like I know a lot of people go through that, too. So it's interesting. So definitely, obviously, not, like, going about their life for the whole book. But I know that sometimes it bounces up and down. So it's good to do research on that, too. And the five stages of grief, they don't go in order, and sometimes they repeat. Right. Which is really fun. (laughs) All right. Um, back there in the... You first? Yeah. Me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tim! Oh, then yeah. I saw glasses. Um, Tim! Just hearing your discussion about um, harm to children. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about... The, the book that I'm shopping now, that I, mm-hmm. I've finished, is a, a ghost story. It's about a haunted house. And so I have a chapter of backstory explaining who's haunting the house and why. And the, uh, the person who's haunting it... The, the, the story itself takes place in the present day, but the flashback is to the 1940s. And it's a young woman who, uh, her husband is killed in World War II, and then six months later, her two-year-old son dies of polio. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks after that, she hangs herself. Um, is that the sort of thing that you think would be too off-putting for the reader? I mean, it de- look, it depends Sounds on... Sounds like Robert Frost. Like it, depends <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how you handle it, it really. Again, yeah. horrible things sadly do they sometimes happen, happen yeah. to children. Also, think Game of Thrones. Yeah. Spoilers, Bran Stark out the window. Right? <laughs> That's a pretty horrible thing that happened. Yeah. And last time I checked, uh, George is still doing okay. Again, I think it's in how you handle it more than anything else. It, my, yeah. My pet peeve is just one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, intelligently. If you're doing handling. it for, especially with children, just my just my huge pet peeve is when you're doing it in essence for some sort of, you know, voyeuristic porn to say, well, I don't have any other way to shock people, so 
children are the most vulnerable mm -hmm. characters that you could possibly deal with because they can't defend themselves. So it's weak from a writer's point of view to say, well, I'll do something horrible to a child mm -hmm. and that'll get and that'll be manipulative to the audience. That's mm -hmm. my big pet peeve. It's not that something bad couldn't or shouldn't yeah. ever happen invol involving a child. It's just mm -hmm. if you're doing it because, well, oh, I know, I'll yeah. kidnap the child, I'll kill the child, and that'll start the thing. Well, you know, maybe you need to... Think but, a little harder. Yeah. So, um, especially because yeah. like, something fairly intense. Yeah. And and Tim, yeah. 1940, like World War II, 1945. That's the time when polio was pretty prevalent. So I also no, have. I that particular which is yeah. so you're doing it intelligently. Right. So yeah. good job. Yes. yes. So you had your hand up, and then I know there's more hands up, but you had your hand up as well. Which is a quick comment just reminded me of. I had um, I had uh, interviewed kids in juvenile justice centers for an article I was writing. And one of the uh, youth mentioned that the reason he was there was because he was in Honolulu's airport hitting people in the back of the head to rob them. And he hadn't realized that, that would actually kill them because, and until so he was in jail for um, second-degree murder, he hadn't realized, or he was, in the, he was in the detention center, because he had written, he had watched so many movies in which people just knock people out by hitting them in the head. Um, so when you but my question is, when you're speaking about voyeuristic um, experiences, I mean, my guess is that one way to differentiate that is mm -hmm. if you are kind of watching something happen to someone in a voyeuristic sense, or writing it from the perspective of that person, kind of an internal sensitive um, approach. And I'm wondering if you can actually handle the same scene differently based on that switch of viewpoint. I don't understand. Not yeah, sure I think he's saying that, that when you're writing the traumatic scene or whatever, I think he's asking, mm -hmm. you have to make a choice on whether you're going to be the outside person looking down at the scene mm -hmm. or whether you're going to be the person experiencing, experiencing it. And, right. and I think that's part of the writing process. You have to decide when you mm -hmm. hit that scene what is going to be the most effective way to get across your point. Because remember, you, you can't just be having... A traumatic event for the sake of a traumatic event. You have to have a mm -hmm. traumatic event for the sake of something in the story. It needs to lead mm -hmm. to something in the story. So when you're looking at that particular scene, you got to ask yourself, okay, this is what I want this to do for my book. Is it better to have the external looking down or is it better to have the internal where it's actually sort of physically happening to you? And you have to make that choice every time you have a traumatic scene. You have to look at it and say, how do I need to write this? And, and sort of an extrapolation on that is that you have to choose how much you're going to show. Remember, people are reading this, and the people reading this have very vivid, active imaginations in general. So you don't have to go into horrendously gory detail about what's happening. A lot of times you can just sort of suggest that this is happening and leave it up to uh, the reader to fill in any gory details that they want. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's a choice. You have, you have to decide how much are you going to show and how are you going to show that. Well, look in uh, uh, Catcher on the Rye, Holden Caulfield. We meet him in the hot, why he's in a hospital. He says once towards the end of the book, I did something, I hurt my wrist. That's the only thing he says. That's the only mention of it. But he tried to commit suicide. But it's never discussed. There's no blood. There's no nothing. But yet, so that's about as subtle as you can be. And, and you know, look where he's been from there. You can come to Game of Thrones. Look what happened with, you know, I mean, it's... Horrifying, the whole but, book is a lot of horrible things. Yeah. Look what they do to yeah. Theon, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not tortured. 
just to and have it there, because if he had no other part in the story, that would have just been gratuitous. But the torture forums served a larger and, purpose. And I think implication can be many times even more powerful than just outright stating it. Okay. Because when you're implying things, you're also asking the reader to fill in the gap. So they're investing that part of themselves into yep. it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Again, I like music. It's like having an unresolved chord, because you always want to resolve it in your head right at the last minute. So I think sometimes stopping just short can actually have a huge impact. Right. I see that, but you had had your hand up first. Um, that's what I was actually going to say something related to that. Um, one of the things that frequently um, makes an, a character's experience not ring true to me is um, like overreaction or overdrama. I've read the, the same situation in different stories um, where, you know, one one story has this character dealing with the situation, you know, and the whole narrative is just, woe is me, everything is terrible, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. Um, but then having been in, say, a similar situation myself, I remember it, you know, it's not like that. You just, and having a, a different character deal with the same situation in a way where they've sort of accepted it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing that's happening to me, and it's terrible. Um, and I've just have to deal with it. Um, so when it's just a subtlety thing, I think this was going to end in a question. It's, it's also a character <laughs> thing, too. Yeah. It's also a character thing, too. I think, again, everyone responds to grief and loss and trauma very differently. So yeah. it's how does this particular character in these particular circumstances react? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's, well, there's a, this notion, right, that we all die a thousand little deaths, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can... You know, you can lose someone close to you, but you can lose a job you thought you were going to get. You you wanted to get the girl, you wanted to get the guy, and you didn't get it. You thought you were going to get whatever it was. When you don't get what you want or something that you had is no longer there, we, we grieve, even if it's not a physical death. And it affects us emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. And you can weave these these elements into your characters because it gives them depth and it makes them feel real. I mean, we are all affected and sometimes... Like you said, you know, you think you're over something and then one day you're driving along and then you have a breakdown and you don't mm-hmm. even know why. Mm-hmm. It's because of something yeah. that happened six months ago or ten years ago or whatever mm-hmm. it was. That It's just, you, you know, as being alive, the human experience mm-hmm. is that our emotions, our psychological demons are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And that's real. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was going to say, uh, for me, a lot of the time, if you're doing something terrible to a character in order for it to have an effect on another character, but not as part of... <laughs> Like, um, if you're going to do something terrible to someone, have it be a part of their story and not a, not part of someone else's story primarily. Like, yeah. if something that like you give a Game of Thrones example, when terrible things happen to Theon, it's part of his story that they're happening to. They're not being done to him so that other characters can feel bad about it. Yeah. Right, nobody knows about it. Extremely well put. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yep. So there was a question in the back, and yeah, I just, I just, um, I was just thinking about the question of. Uh, of you know, if you write a character and you really, you really um, devoted to that character, and uh, and you hope that the reader is devoted to the character, and then you do a horrible thing to it. Do you feel like you're you're you've got a sh- good shot of like losing your audience right there? And no, we're not talking like gratuitous children harm or something like this, but just the fact that you've made the made the reader love your character. You know, do you feel like you you, you pull your punches because you don't want to lose your reader? You keep them alive rather than let them die. You know, it because depends. you don't want to lose the reader. 
Just for the purpose of the reader? No, you need to serve the story above the reader. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. kind of what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Serve the Unless story. you're writing romance. If you, yeah, <laughs> but then you're serving, that is kind of a, still serving the, the story and the expectations of the story. I think, again, if it's done well and it's not just like, yeah. wham, act of God out of mm-hmm. nowhere doesn't make sense with the rest of the story as I've established it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, absolutely not. Like, they should know what they're in for, first of all, and be right. the story's more important. Yeah, I've, I've edited authors um, freelance that that don't do anything to their characters. I'm like, well, there's no story. I'm like, but I don't want the readers to hate me. Like, no, the character mm-hmm. needs to actually go through stuff and grow. So if you're you're doing it just because you don't want to hurt the character, that well, yeah, like I said earlier, <laughs> nobody's going to change unless they're forced to change. Right. The whole point of a story is mm-hmm. change. Something mm-hmm. has to change during the course of the story. Yeah. And um, otherwise, you don't have a story. Right. And so. Well, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to over question this. I didn't mean don't have conflict. But the, but the topic here is about you know, harming and torturing and you know, mm-hmm. real extreme stuff. Uh, it depends on the story and the character. If the story needs it, if the story don't pull and the it. Need it. Yeah. It <laughs> served the story. So. I'm thinking of Miles for Miles for Kosigan, Lois McMaster Beagle's. A series. Mm-hmm. He's, he's into mercenary stuff, and he's into intelligence stuff, and he gets captured and tortured and beat up and drugged and harmed. And, you know, and, and just because of his personality, you know, you're rooting for him, and you know he's going to, you know he's going to pull through, but it's going to, it's going to be at an awful cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, if, it's, if it were... Um, <laughs> then it's the worst thing I can do to the character. Yeah, yeah. and then do that. Yeah. It's also about saying, stick your characters in a tree and throw rocks at them. Yeah. When I was uh, in my writing, is that if your characters don't want to, if the characters run into you in an abandoned alley, if they don't want to kill you, you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it doesn't have to be. I, I hate the, this idea that we have to do something absolutely horrible um, to, to the character because. In my opinion, the best things are the really, really little subtle things. Like I have a short story in Apollo's Daughters, and the whole story, when it really comes down to it, the whole story comes down to a slap. Somebody slapped one, the main character, and it leads to this whole big thing, and there's nothing else that's really going, nothing else really happens to the character, like in a physical sense, but there's a threat of what might happen in the future because of the slap. And, and I mean, it's, it's, I really think the best stories are the ones where, where, the torture for the characters is really, really subtle. Maybe it's just that I go in more for the, the psychological, emotional kind of torture rather than the, I'm going well, to break well, you out can, and, and stack And you can do knives. psychological torture in your character if they met you in a dark alley would still want to, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, for, we're going, have, yeah. What I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to be this No, no, for sure. Thing, I, like I think, George sorry, R. you go first. Okay. Oh, okay. So, you know, so the show Constantine, that's, been on, so it's based on yeah. Hellblazer, right? So there's, yeah. there's a classic run from Garth, during Garth Ennis's run, where John Constantine he does battles with the devil, the king of the vampires and mm-hmm. demons and all these, whole, I mean, really crazy stuff. But that's his world. But when his girlfriend broke up with him, he went on a six month bender and sent him off the deep end. He was an absolute bloody awful mess for six months because he lost. He lost the, the one woman that he truly, truly loved. Give me vampires, give me demons, I'm good to go. I, lo- I get my heart broken, it's all over for me. And it, again, it can be a very small thing if you've set up the build-up and yes. the contrast. 
Okay, so I'm a huge Penny Dreadful fan. I can yes. still get it in the Great White North. It's good. Um, so Frankenstein's monster, again, I don't care. Spoilers, you're here. I'm torturing you guys. Um, Frankenstein's monster. He's been like, kind. there's this woman in the theater he's working with, and she's been kind of nice to him when no one else is, and she's smiling, and she brought him an orange because everyone loves her. And you can feel he, they're like getting this tentative little friendship. So he wants to make himself look nice for her. So he gets some theatrical makeup, and he tries to cover his... Frankenstein's monster face and he goes to her dressing room and she laughs at him because he's done a very poor job with the application so we've had all of this build up in contrast and they're gonna and he's trying so and she laughs that's all she does but your heart just breaks and you see his heart break so it doesn't have to be a yeah. death yeah. or a loss or a rape mm -hmm. it can be something as simple as that if you've got the build up mm -hmm. yeah. you've had your hand up for a while yes first I didn't wear the shirt so as a writer, do you want to take it to where you shock yourself, or do you just take it to where you think you're odd? Because we're so used to so much shocking stuff now, does it just become, oh, this event is a touchstone for, they should, assuming you built up the characters properly, you know, do shocking things, are they just now sort of a, a marker for emotions or reactions they shouldn't be based on my the example i just gave i want to make myself feel uncomfortable from time to time yeah. i think but not shocked for the sake of being shocked yeah i'm, I'm not doing it to shock myself yeah. um mm -hmm. and but i also think you, you want to as a writer you want to continuously push yourself Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're not continuously pushing yourself to write that thing that you might mm -hmm. be afraid to write, then then I don't know why you're writing anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you you, you got to push yourself. You got to write the things that, like you said, make yeah. you uncomfortable every now and then. Mm -hmm. And um, I know, like for example, Patricia Bray, one of her um, Dev or one of her Jozan books. She didn't want to write one of the torture scenes, and so she just kind of did the whole fade to black. <laughs> and then the next chapter, the torture was over, and, and she was doing the after effects of it, and her editor sent it back to her and said, no, you have to write this because the story needs it. And she wasn't comfortable writing it, but she pushed herself, and she wrote it, and you know it made the book a better book. So I really think if you're not pushing yourself and not making yourself a little uncomfortable, then you, yeah. you, know, you, you might not be servicing the story as well as you think. I do. I do a lot of horror conventions, and many of the horror authors who I speak with, um, after they finish one of their pieces, be it a short story, novella, or novel, they, they're, they need some downtime. They need some recovery time. It's hard. Because you go to that dark place. Yeah, you have to embody that yeah. place to get there. Um, yeah, one hard. of the toughest novellas that I wrote, um, I couldn't write anything for a good three months afterwards. That wasn't, you know, like emails and business stuff. Because it was a really, really tough, I, I'm glad that I did it. Um, but it was a very tough thing. So you go through that and you, you put yourself through a certain amount of that pain and trauma by writing it. And like, is that really exist inside of my head? Um, but I also know some of the authors who, who write, um, most of the horror authors that I've met who wrote stuff that just makes my stomach churn and the, but they're some of the sweetest people because they get all the horrible, awful things out on paper. That is a trend I've noticed with yeah. authors. The ones who are the gentlest kindest, sweetest, warmest people write the most horrible, awful, dark things. <laughs> Alright, so we have one minute. Last words from the panel? Um, 
I guess my last words would be what I sort of emphasized during the thing is that, you know, write the story, do what the story needs and do it intelligently. And, and it's, it, and then I could say, you can safely say it's not torture. <laughs> Umberto Echo said, good is a, well, good is a kernel of truth that can't be crushed by an avalanche of evil. So whatever horrible things you write, it won't mean shit unless you've got the reality that good is inevitable. If you want to write children who are going through troubled times, you're going to write genuine children and all the wonderful, beautiful things they bring with them. So when you're wanting to write for impact, it's not that you're writing something shocking or overpowering. It's that you're emphasizing the dichotomy between how good the world latently is and how tragically often it steers off course. Uh, Just last, I think. I just think it's really, uh, you know, if you want to do terrible things to your characters, it has a lot more to do, more often, whether it's physical or not. It's about, you know, dangling something that they want or they had, and either something they want that they can't have or something they had that they're going to lose, and the struggles they have within it, whether it's physical or emotional or whatever it is. There's got to be that conflict in the sense that maybe they could get it back or maybe they're going to lose it, and you have to have that tension. Otherwise, then you probably are drifting into shock value. And I will be in the dealer's room today, today only. I have to leave this afternoon. Okay. Uh, Think about why you're doing it. Lay the groundwork and do your homework. There you go. Thank you very much. Oh, so go ahead. Oh, I'm done. (laughs) Thank you to the panel. Can I do one quick? I've got a reading um, with the Broad Universe Mm -hmm. at 12 o'clock in Concierge Suite. And check us all out. We're going to in various places in the dealer's room, booksellers. Dealer's room, if you want. I have postcards up here to pick up if you want to pick out some of my books. So grab swag. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, panel. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at meltingpodcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek.